It's the 14th of April, 2015, and this is episode 204. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only. What cryptocurrency enables is new, empowering, and exciting, but we're not experts. Just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin. This is Stephanie with you, and we've also got Adam and Andreas. The gang's all here today. We're actually joined by a special guest, and we're going to talk about the Bitcoin Foundation. This is something that everyone in Bitcoin has heard of, and everyone in Bitcoin probably has some kind of opinions about. It sort of tends to be a microcosm or a, a reflection of our feelings about just governments in general and what we think of them, what role we think they need to play in something like Bitcoin, which is a decentralized thing. We're joined today by Olivier Jensen's, and he has recently been elected to the board of the Bitcoin Foundation as an individual member, you know, representing the individual side as opposed to industry representation. But he had had some definite thoughts about the nature of the Bitcoin Foundation and, you know, do we actually need this kind of organization having a lot of control over Bitcoin and how do we fund things like core development and essentials for Bitcoin without any one organization having a level of control that becomes uncomfortable. So he had been putting his thoughts out there on the internet and then I guess somehow made his way into deciding he wanted to run for the board of the Bitcoin Foundation. Well, first of all, welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Uh, I'm glad to be here. How did you get interested in Bitcoin and how did you start becoming active, I guess, as someone who talked about the Bitcoin Foundation publicly and then ran for it? I was always fascinated by potential internet currencies and I thought we needed sort of virtual gold to take the internet to the next level and also society. And in 2010, I, I heard for the first time about Bitcoin and I was immediately fascinated by it. I knew this was the right thing that we needed. I guess you must have been following Bitcoin from the early days and obviously you heard about the Bitcoin Foundation. You were kind of critical of them at first, right? I was. I guess I still am, uh, especially in regards to the role they played in core development. I guess some people might call me paranoid in that regard. But I was always worried that it was also their end goal to have as many core developers working for them as possible. And then in the end, also creating a sort of standards body connected to that. What led up to your thought process on that? Had you experienced similar things in the past? Was it your political philosophy that made you afraid that, hey, this organization, the Bitcoin Foundation, might be having too much control over Bitcoin? Well, I'm definitely a voluntarist or a libertarian, whatever you want to call it. So I do frown upon too much centralization. I also understand you need companies and centralized institutions to do stuff. So I'm not against corporations at all. But the foundation was really going into a direction, in my opinion, where they First of all, they were doing like a lot of things. They were doing lobbying, uh, core development, and, and a lot of other stuff. And now that they sort of went out of the way because they had no choice because of the funding that, that failed to come in, um, all those things have been replaced by more competition in, in the community. For example, you have Coin Center now doing the lobbying. I hope there's many more coming. Uh, you also have the EFF taking up uh, positions to protect Bitcoin. So I think it's, it's, it's positive that, that the foundation is going out of the way for, for those things. I do think there's a role for the foundation, but I'll, I guess I'll get back to that later. I didn't pay much attention to the recent Bitcoin Foundation elections, but we saw Cody Wilson basically coming out and saying, well, you know, yeah, I'd like to run for the Bitcoin Foundation and abolish it <laughs> from the inside. You wouldn't say that you were completely on that side, right? No, um, contrary to what people might think after my re- recent post, I always saw a use for the foundation, although it was a positive, non-power type of uh, position that I saw for it. So ideally, I would like the foundation to still do something. And in my opinion, that should be only positive things which do not come with any power. The foundation could, for example, create an initiative to go store to store and, and make a map of every store in the United States and then engage their members and the community to visit every store and promote Bitcoin to them and like, like make a to-do list to go to every one of them and make it an incentive uh, combined with some monetary rewards. For example, if BitPay says, yes, if you introduce our system to this store, then you get a percent on all the sales they will do in the future. So that's very interesting. And I think 
if we do that, then it really helps the adoption of Bitcoin. And the foundation has a name to do that. So I think that would be a positive thing. The other thing I would see it do is to help create like a, a mass change tip event, for example. So the end goal would be to have a Bitcoin into the hands of every person in the world. So if you could sort of leverage the community to create something like that and, and give a Bitcoin to everyone, that, that's also something which is extremely positive. It will restore the reputation of the Bitcoin Foundation. But my opinion besides that is that it should nef- definitely not go in a position of power. So you're seeing more of an outreach role for it. And I definitely want to talk about that. But first, just tell us, how did you decide that you wanted to run for the board and how did you get elected? I made an initiative almost a year ago where I, where I promised $100,000 for a project which could like replace the Bitcoin Foundation. In the end, that ended up in me deciding that the most important thing to take out of the foundation, in my opinion, was the fact that it was doing core development. And, and that was confirmed later on, by the way, by the pivot they made in, in November towards doing only core development. I, I really thought that sort of most important thing that the foundation was doing and shouldn't be doing is core development. So in the end, I selected Lighthouse. Unfortunately, that's not really in a completed phase where you can have like tens of thousands of, of donations for one project. You can only have like a couple of hundred, which really limits the amount. So it's not really ready for the market yet, in my opinion. Yeah, when the foundation took on the role just as one role, you know, like as, as the main focus, I really felt compelled to, to go against that. And that's why I ran. And I also want to create more transparency and eventually pivot the, the foundation more into something non-power type of thing. So you ran on a platform of basically getting them away from core development and maybe more towards outreach and increasing the level of transparency. And people like that because you obviously got elected, right? They liked it a lot. Just about a month after you first got into office, shall we call it? I don't even know if you can call it that. But after you started working with the Bitcoin Foundation, you posted something on Reddit just recently that was basically an expose. It's called The Truth About the Bitcoin Foundation. We'll link to it in the show notes. But some highlights are basically that you tried to record one of their board meetings and you got ignored, voted down. They refused to record it. The people who were present, I think you were sort of teaming up with Jim Harper, who was another person on the board, trying to increase the transparency working with him, but everybody else was kind of not interested in that. And then you said that shockingly, they, they've got no money and they've had to stop paying the people that they had hired. They fired 90% of their people. Some are going to stay on as volunteers. It's going to be reorganizing. This was surprising to some people, not very surprising to others. What was the reaction to that Reddit post? That was very interesting. Like the moment I, I got elected, uh, a week later, I found out about the real financial status. I really felt compelled to share it with the members right away. But instead, I wanted to give the foundation a chance to, to come forward and to become more transparent. So Jim did propose a vote to create more transparency. It wasn't the way I, I wanted it to be, but it was a beginning. We joined the first board meeting and we, like Jim, proposed a vote. I seconded the vote basically ended up ignoring us and they said there's more important things to do because right now we're almost out of money uh, core development is no longer possible because there's no support anymore from the people uh, the foundation is not trusted enough to to do core development anymore uh, so they failed to raise any funds and they wanted to talk about a new direction where the foundation should go into so in a way it was like pretty funny because like half of my platform was already accomplished before i even tried that was also funny because like a couple of days before I wrote like this really lengthy email to the board explaining my position, why they shouldn't be doing core development. Also questioning why they haven't shared the truth about financials with the members, asking if they actually shared the financials with uh, organizations they were still trying to get money from for core development. I never got an answer to that, but at the same time, Jim wrote an email to the board, uh, basically telling everyone that there was no money left. I think that email might actually have been sent before I, I wrote mine, but I didn't see it. In a way, that was nice. Core development was already out of the window, so that was okay, but the transparency part was not. Core development was out the window because they couldn't pay for it, but they still wanted to do it, right? Yeah, they wanted to do it, but basically what they heard from the companies they went to because they went on this road trip where they tried to get funding for core development from the from Bitcoin companies. And most of them, from what I heard, they said, 
yeah, we don't really like to be associated with the Bitcoin Foundation, so we're not going to give you any money. I can't picture core development on Bitcoin stopping or sort of like coming to a halt because the Bitcoin Foundation runs out of money. Obviously, they were paying some of the core developers, but anyone is sort of free to contribute to core development if they want to, and people are free to independently fund efforts for core development, which was something that you were interested in doing before you even got involved with the Bitcoin Foundation. Did they sort of have this attitude, I guess, on the board that Bitcoin is just coming to a halt, it's no longer going to be supported, it's no longer going to be updated? Or did they understand that efforts could continue outside of their organization? First of all, there's like many core developers and not all of them are working for the Bitcoin Foundation, but like the most important ones are, not all of them, but like the most important ones definitely are. The board was aware that there's other possibilities, but what they wanted to try to do, at least in Patrick's proposal, they basically said, we don't have support under the current name. So what we're going to do is we're going to create a new core development organization and we're going to try to get money under that one. And that was very worrying for me because they just wanted to create the whole thing over again and and under a different name because the, the reputation was burned. And yeah, like judging on the type of people which are in the foundation or have been in the foundation, I definitely did not think that was a good idea. Can we just uh, clarify for a second? Because I've heard this claim that core developers work for the foundation. Uh, I think that may be a slight misrepresentation. So at the moment, there are, if I'm not mistaken, two core developers who are being paid by the foundation. Is that correct? Or are there more? No longer at the moment. There, there were four, I think. So from your perspective, Olivier, so you, you, you got to see a bit of the foundation. My understanding of this is that the developers who were receiving supporting funds from the foundation to continue their core development work were receiving money from the foundation, but they had no reporting to the foundation as to what they were working on, no coordination of their project goals, objectives, no direction from the foundation as to what they should be working on, no strings connected to those funds other than their name associated with the foundation. So I I don't think it's really accurate to say that they're working for the foundation because the foundation didn't define any of the work direction on the core developers. I think that's an important distinction. They certainly were funding core development, but they weren't directing the core development in any way. Right, they were funding core development. But of course, the question is, if Gavin and, and Patrick go on a road trip to, to, to companies and they say like, yeah, we're going to give you money, does it come with strings attached or not? I, I don't know. Um, I guess Gavin is a very integral person, as he has proven in, in, in the past. But I don't know if it's the same for other developers, core developers. And ideally, I would like to see the core developers directly funded by the community and in a much more transparent fashion. The problem also has been that the foundation is sitting in between the core development, the core developers. So ideally, I would like to see that happen directly. And of course, there will always be core developers working for corporations, which I think is totally okay. And the more decentralized that is, the better. I'd rather have like 20 corporations hiring 20 core developers than five corporations hiring five core developers and 15 being employed by the Bitcoin Foundation, which is a political institution in a way. I'm certainly not going to defend the foundation because I agree with you in terms of transparency. They they failed to engage their membership and I resigned from my uh, involvement with the foundation. I resigned as a member because I was a member of the foundation and I also stopped working as part of one of the working groups there. I never had any responsibility within the foundation or any oversight or any ability to make any change, but I decided to disassociate myself completely with that. But the issue that you brought forward is is really interesting, which is that the foundation funded four core developers, but outside of the foundation, the number of developers or core developers who are working directly on Bitcoin Core, who are funded by other companies is much lower. It's not five companies funding core developers. As far as I know, only three of the core developers are funded by other companies Mm. outside of the foundation. And in fact, two of them are shareholders in in these companies. I know, for example, Jeff Karsik is being funded by BitPay on a part-time basis. What I would say we've seen in this particular space 
is a complete failure of many of the funded and quite liquid Bitcoin startups to pay back to the community and to support uh, core development in any way. Now, that may be because the foundation was taking on a role and that pushed out the private interests, or it may simply be because they rested on their laurels and didn't bother to invest back into the community. But in fact, to me, it's shocking that you have these companies that have received 30, 40, 50 million dollars in funding in the Bitcoin space that do not participate in funding any core development whatsoever. I agree. I propose to create a, a trust for every developer or like one trust which can represent multiple developers and have that directly funding the developers in a completely transparent way, a trust which is like a letter of wishes, so to speak. So there's no political voting. And when you donate to that trust, you actually have to specify which developer is going to and have that be completely transparent, including the people who donate it. So in that way, you could sort of see how much money those companies have given to the core developers. It would also hopefully incentivize them to do so. I think reputation-wise, it's great that a company like Bitcoin, BitPay would go to, to such a fund and say like, okay, look guys, we just gave you $100,000 to these developers. And that's like a, a batch of honor, you know what I mean? Well, they certainly already have that batch because they're already doing BitPay specifically has already uh, contributed significantly both to the open source community and code base around Bitcoin, as well as funded core development. Uh, What's shocking to me is that many of the other companies in the space, well-funded companies, have done neither. They haven't contributed back to open source and they haven't funded any development of the core protocol. In a way, the Bitcoin Foundation is or was filling a gap. It was creating a structure. And, you know, we both have disagreements about how it was doing it, but it certainly was creating a mechanism by which recurring membership fees provided a steady source of funding towards core development. The question that that arises, which is the big problem I've been struggling with, is in the absence of the foundation, how do you get some funding towards core development from the community that lasts beyond the first buzz of a three-month fundraiser. I mean, we, we could run a fundraiser right now, all of the members of Let's Talk Bitcoin and, and you and I and everybody else who has a profile in the community could go out and tweet up a storm and we could get funding. And I, I bet you we'd have a pretty nice fundraiser for three months. Then three months from now, when all of the dust has settled, we don't have any funding and then how do you decide who gets paid? Because if you, if you have to create some kind of governance structure, then you end up recreating the board of the foundation. Uh, so far, I haven't seen any good solutions. I'm afraid that even though the foundation was doing a terrible job and got distracted and did a whole lot of other things and not very transparent, they're still going to leave a big hole which isn't going to be filled with anything in the meantime. That's clear. Um, so I, I think that the core developers have gotten funded in spite of the foundation, you know, I think the foundation has sort of, which was proven because of the reaction of the companies that they went to in the last couple of months, that they were reluctant to give money to the foundation. Uh, I don't think anyone is reluctant to give money to the core developers. And from what I've heard, and I know some, some stuff which is going on right now in terms of funding developers, uh, I can't really share it yet, but there's many corporations which, which are more than happy to give money under the right structure uh, to the core developers. I don't think that will be a problem at all. People had the same concerns about, uh, about lobbying. What happens if foundation no longer lobbies, Bitcoin is going to become like illegal, whatever. What happens is, yeah, the market reacts and then CoinCenter arrives, you know. CoinCenter is being doing a great job and I think there's many others which will come up soon to compete with each other. Even the EFF is defending Bitcoin right now. I'm certainly not going to make the argument, well, who's going to build the roads? If <laughs> that, that tired old argument, I, I don't think that's the, the issue here. I'm looking really at this from a pragmatic perspective, which is let's assume at this point that the foundation, let's say it was on its deathbed. It seems like you came along and with that Reddit post, you put a pillow over their face and smothered them out. So it may be that the foundation is not going to survive for very much longer. What happens a month from now is that we have four core developers who are no longer going to have a steady source of income. 
I know for a lot of people, it seems like, well, you know, we should all do this as volunteers, et cetera, et cetera. But in fact, it takes focus and attention to, to develop on a project as complex as this. People who have families to support and obligations, things like that, they can't easily deliver the same kind of focus if they have to maintain a job on the side or run the speaking circuit or do consulting or do a hundred other things, which end up taking up a lot of time. Regardless of how, I think it's important to look at what the future brings. I don't want to sidetrack this, but the really practical question here is, how do you create a sustainable structure that provides funds or that allows companies that are benefiting from Bitcoin and have already received investment. Nobody was stopping them from funding. Uh, I, I think the idea that the foundation was getting in the way of funding core development is a bit silly, in that nobody was stopping any of the big funded companies in the space from paying, paying core developers to work on core, and yet a lot of them were not doing that. What do you think would be the right structure to get this done? You talked about a trust fund. How would you structure that? Well, first of all, I, I do think the foundation was sort of um, stopping that from happening. But I guess we can sort of differ in opinion there. People knew the foundation was responsible for funding core devs. And, right, I the mean, appearance is almost just as important as the reality of the situation. Exactly, and they have exactly. said that they fund core development. Yeah, exactly. So people didn't. Oh, there trust, were plenty uh, more core developers who were not getting, getting funded. funded. Let's, let's, right, let's, but, let's Andreas, but the point is, is that if the general assumption is that the Bitcoin Foundation does core development, that they're paying for core development, they're paying for core developers, then people might not even necessarily recognize that this is a problem because they think that it's already being dealt with. If Gavin is going to say like, guys, support this trust fund, so to speak, and and there's like fifty other developers which can be funded through it. It's going to get attraction immediately, but if Gavin is working for the foundation, he sort of like gives his power to the foundation in regards to where core development takes place or took place in the past, in a way, you know, not completely, but still to a certain extent. Well, the good news is that uh, we're going to find out, Olivier, if you're correct about this very, very soon, yeah. because that excuse will no longer exist. I am not as optimistic as you. I think companies that, that had the ability to give back to the community and chose not to were being greedy and selfish and not so much concerned about whether the foundation was going to do it instead. I don't think they were being disheartened by this. But in, in any case, we're going to find out soon enough, right? right. So, so if the foundation runs out of money in the next couple of months, we're going to have an immediate challenge, which is there are four core developers who contribute. It's really the case right now. They, they, have no, they don't want to get a paycheck, so they're sort of ready to be picked up. Fantastic. So now we have four of arguably the most prolific and focused core developers working on Bitcoin Core who now have to worry about where their next paycheck comes from and how they support their family. So the solution I proposed, and by the way, someone came along in the meanwhile, and I'm not at liberty to discuss yet, but I think this might be a possible great solution, which will, I guess, come out very soon. If they want to, and I offered it to them, uh, I'm more than happy to do it. I, I will fund both Gavin and Vladimir myself for the next year and maybe even the years after because I think it's important for the early Bitcoin adopters to give back to the community. I also told them I don't want anything in return or any power or whatever or any demands. They can even like write books about Bitcoin all year if they want instead. So they're never going to be without a job. And they also have gotten many, many job offers. But ideally, I would like to see core development and the funding of core development solved for the long term. Another option would be to create, like I mentioned before, for example, a trust. That trust would have letter of intent and that basically gives the trustee the power to just accept the money and give it to the person that it's meant for. So, for example, you have a trust and Gavin goes in there, the guy accepts the money and gives it to Gavin and... It's completely transparent because the trust has as a basic requirement that everything which is donated is also connected to the name. All the details are published, how much the developers received, who donated, and they put that on the website, and that's basically it. I mean, even though Lighthouse has a limitation of 638 donors, if the donations are big enough, you could easily say fund three months of salary for one core developer with a Lighthouse project and string together four of those per year per core developer and just have a series of lighthouse projects going to multi-sig addresses that are governed by right. trust. 
I, I discussed this with a couple of core devs and some of them really just want to get their paycheck. They don't want to do any marketing. They don't want to worry about how to collect the money, how to report it to the IRS. That's why I'm more inclined towards a trust because it makes life easy for them. And then it's sort of like an interface, right? It's like you have like a program and you know, like the computer and the port goes to the core developers and whatever you build on top of that, it can be like a lighthouse project or whatever. You have like many crowdfunding tools nowadays, but at least you have an interface to tunnel the money towards. Does it make any sense? Right. So you're talking about a trust in a legal sense of an incorporated entity that has a board of directors that acts as trustees in benefit of named core developers. I wouldn't even have a board of directors. I, I, I don't I know. I would just have like a, a trust administrator, which is like a professional company, which does nothing else every day. And they have a letter of wishes. And basically that says when the money arrives with the name of this core developer, then it gets sent to that guy. That's all they do. And they don't care where it comes from. Of course, I guess there needs to be some checks in, in regards to legal. You know, if, if some drug dealer would donate, what happens? Besides that, that's all they would do. Right. We don't accept any donations from HSBC and other drug dealers like that. What you're talking about is essentially a recreation of only the funding part of the foundation, stripped of all discretion, stripped of all authority, and distilled down to the essence of simply being a legal vehicle that can take checks from donors and write paychecks and do payroll for core developers. Nothing else. Very, very simple. And very with cut a long down. term. Yeah plan, which they didn't have before. And with a long-term plan and a very specific and singular mission, which is that. Yeah. And this trust is just a trust. It's like a completely static vehicle. It does not do any promotion. It doesn't do anything. There's no board of directors. There's no people. It's just a trust office with an administrator that gives the money to the core developers. So I think that's the most simple thing you can go to. And on top of that, the whole community can create different initiatives. For example, a lighthouse, donation or maybe what's it called like kickstarter or indie yeah, yeah, exa- we could exactly. put all of that and just point it at the trust exactly you point it at the trust well that's certainly an interesting proposition so what you're saying is even though the proposal of the foundation was to splinter off that that role and rename it under a new brand that still had too much board too much governance too much baggage too many of the old faces you just want to cut it down to to its essence exactly it was ready to become a foundation 2.0 back with the board of directors. It even specifically said that the biggest donators get a board seat, stuff like that. That doesn't look healthy at all. You know, that's recreating a political structure and we don't need that. If they really want to, they can still create something like that, just like next to uh, another crowdfunding tool or, or whatever. And if they want to connect money through an organization for the core developers with a board of directors, that's fine. But in the end, it's going to go towards that single trust entity and it's going to go to the developer and people can give in many other ways where there will be like a fair competition and an interface to do so. Today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin is brought to you by the LTB Companion Wallet, which I'm really pleased to announce is available right now in the Chrome store. If you've never gotten around to setting yourself up with a counter wallet so you can receive your share of LTB rewards, this is the kinder, easier, and more convenient way you've been waiting for. To get your free LTB Companion multi-token wallet, visit letstalkbitcoin.com and follow the link. It's pretty obvious. Once it's set up, Visit your letstalkbitcoin.com dashboard where you can enter your compatible address and add it to your account using the address verifier. That's all you need to do to start earning LTB coin rewards, except of course, use the site. You'll receive LTB coin for every comment or forum post you leave, the upvotes you receive, new articles you visit, and of course, our flagship Magic Words program. The Magic Words program tries to solve the problem of tracking how many people actually listen to the show all the way through. During each episode, I'll say a specific word, and listeners like you have seven days to visit their account on letstalkbitcoin.com or to use the magic words interface within our iOS application and enter that word, proving that not only did you listen, but that you're keeping up to date. Of all the activities that can earn you rewards, entering magic words is the most highly valued. 
Speaking of magic words, today's magic word is bond. That's B-O-N-D, bond. You've got until the 21st of April to visit letstalkbitcoin.com or the Let's Talk Bitcoin iOS app to enter it for your share of the listener rewards. Back to the show. One of the things that pretty much is always the case when we're talking about funding core development, we're almost always talking about funding specific named individuals who have essentially proven that they are good at what they do, are producing good work, and then they kind of get salaried and then they don't have to worry about money. But I've always wondered, is that the best way to do that? Is that the way that open source projects should go about it, where essentially like you pass the initial hurdles and then you get put into the stable and then you're kind of good so long as you keep working? Or is it better to focus more on features? Because another way that this could happen is that, you know, using Lighthouse or anything else, you could say, okay, well, it's not the developer that we're funding. It's the feature that we're funding. And when developers or the developer actually implements that and it's approved and put into the main code base and those funds are released as a bounty payment essentially for. So, I mean, like, I know that there are some problems with bounties in that they don't give upfront incentives to work on stuff and they create competitive situations. Even with that aside, is there any other way that we should think about funding development rather than just funding named individuals on a salaried basis? I've discussed this one with Gavin, um, and I think it's a good question. For me, it seems like he was sort of against uh, connecting money to features because he just wants to get a paycheck. So I think this still works, and it's a great idea, and it could be built on top of those of, of the trust, so to speak, right? So if people think this is the best way to do it. It's like just uh, what I described before. It's like another competitor to another crowdfund. And if that works out, you know, at least you can sort of like specify the developer you want to fund to. The biggest problem right now is that people didn't have a way to interface with the developers in the first place, except for the developer himself, you know, putting like a, a Bitcoin address public and or, or dealing with every request himself, like some guy coming to him like, I have $10,000, how do I give it? I think the most important thing that has been lacking in the community is sort of the interface. Uh, which could be a trust. And on top of that, you can build all, the, all those things which you just mentioned, which I think is a good idea. There's another challenge with this idea of funding per feature. And that is that in any mature project, and Bitcoin uh, is, is certainly progressing in its maturity, more than 80% of the effort involves maintenance and refactoring and bug squashing and optimizations, which are not really features. They're the things that happen behind the scenes, the housekeeping, the cleaning up. The risk with funding features is twofold. One, that essential maintenance tasks, which end up taking a lot more of the effort, don't get done. And second, that if you align incentives with creating new features, you get massive feature creep because you start basically making the software try to do more and more and more things. And sometimes the best way is to not add any features, but instead optimize what you already have. In the case of Bitcoin Core, which is consensus-driven software, that risk is accented even more because each feature brings new risks with it. And so really is the goal of core development to generate more features for the protocol, or is it really to maintain and stabilize and very conservatively and slowly evolve the existing code base? The problem with features is that the shiny popular things get funded. And sometimes those are not the things that you want in a protocol base. Those are things that other companies should be building as overlays of the protocol, not part of the core. That's a valid point, Andreas. But I think that, you know, I was just giving a very specific example there, you know, doing bug hunt bounties where devs are rewarded based weekly or monthly on the amount of fixes integrated into the code base and, you know, where they're awarded, they get an allocation based on their bug fixes relative to everybody else's bug fixes over the same period of time. You know, I understand what you're saying, but I think that there are ways around that. Olivier, I really like what you said, which was that we don't need to have one solution, basically, that we can have this solution that the foundation or quasi foundation or whatever winds up, you know, coming next does. But we can also have different layers on top and they can almost interact with each other. A person, you know, Gavin could decide that he wants to take some type of bounty work and do that while at the same time he's also on this uh, type of salaried uh, program. So that's kind of another topic that I really think is an interesting angle here. 
if we're making the argument that, and it sounds like you are, that the Bitcoin Foundation has essentially occupied space in places where if they weren't occupying space, other people would have showed up and done stuff, then do we even want central organizations anymore? Is there a reason to have a central organization like the Bitcoin Foundation? Or really, should this be the, the sign that we need to splinter this thing and this needs to go, you know, there needs to be 20 different organizations and we need to, you know, see expansions of like the Bitcoin Alliance of Canada and the global Bitcoin Alliance that kind of spawned off of that. And that's a more decentralized way. I fully agree. I think that's the right way out, so to speak. I don't think we need one organization. We, we need plenty of organizations doing the same thing and competing with each other. Some of the big questions that really require organization, right? What, what is the point of organization? Organization is, is a way to overcome communication overhead and to coordinate activities among a very large and, and disparate community. A lot of the issues that these organizations can solve have to do with very specific and local problems. So I would definitely see a need for, you know, a Canadian organization, one that has to speak to local law and regulation and um, interact with the local regulators, that has to deal with issues of local development of the community, the industry, the startups, education initiatives, et cetera, et cetera. And there are some things that are very local in nature, down to, you know, neighborhood associations. And we've seen some neighborhoods where Bitcoin use is extremely dense and widespread. And I can see those kinds of associations. But the idea of one global association for something that is supposedly decentralized currency always struck me as an aberration, an artificial construct that really was more about the egos of the founding members. Maybe we needed it in the very early days and certainly having a spokesperson. At the very least, it gave the authorities a list of uh, suspects they could put in jail um, and monitor more closely. But other than that, you know, do we really need a central organization these days? No, it's actually counterproductive to have one, which has been proven over and over in the past. The media still has the benefit right now to link Bitcoin with the Bitcoin Foundation. And has it ever done us any good? I would say no. In, in, in a couple of years ago, they played a role. There was not really a community to do that lobbying and stuff like that. But right now, I think, no, we definitely don't need it any longer. It's actually very counterproductive, in my opinion. The very last uh, headline that the foundation will create is Bitcoin is bankrupt and disbanded. Right. Because once again, people will confuse an organization or a single company with Bitcoin as a whole. Which just happened. I mean, that's why I posted in my release on top, you know, no to the press. The Bitcoin Foundation does not represent Bitcoin in any way. I think it helped a lot, but some people are still reading it as that. I don't really think that the problem with the Bitcoin Foundation is that it's a global organization. I don't really think that there's a problem inherently with global organizations. I think the problem is that the Bitcoin Foundation attempted to do the global organization in a very top-down way, where they essentially tried to catalyze new chapters in other countries and then bring them on board or onboard existing. It seems like that's the core problem with what the Bitcoin Foundation did. Because everything was top-down, because everything came from the leadership on down, the competency of the leadership mattered incredibly much, and the uh, effectiveness of the leadership really mattered a lot. Whatever happened in the, in the lower tiers kind of originated from the top. One of the interesting things about something like the global organization is that that's kind of the other approach. It's that a bunch of already existing regional organizations got together, agreed on some principles that they all could agree with, and then said, okay, well, we're all part of this you know, supranational organization that doesn't have any power, but it's just a way, it's, it's a structure, it's a framework, like you've been saying, Olivier, for these individuals to pull their resources when it's necessary, but still maintain their complete autonomy in every other circumstance. Is the problem centralization? Is the problem, is it this top-down thing? My impression of the foundation from the very early days and one of the big problems I had was I, I was a member for a year and a half. I, I don't know, Adam, are you still a member? No, I just signed up for that first year and didn't renew. Stephanie, were you ever a member? No. <laughs> no. It, was, it was a trap from the beginning. Anathema <laughs> to dirty statist organizations. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I've seen it before. I know yeah. how governments tend to play out. Yeah, that was my motivation for not joining. So when I joined, I thought the idea of a member organization was pretty cool. You know, a way to get members organized and maybe kind of 
amplify the voices of many um, or being able to at least have many people amplify their voices through collaboration as members. You know, what really struck me about the foundation is in the two, one and a half to two years that I was a, a member, I did not receive a single meaningful communication from the foundation. They didn't once ask me for my opinion. They didn't once ask me for my contribution. They didn't ask me to comment. They didn't ask me to organize. They didn't put me in touch with any of the other members. They didn't provide any meaningful organization or collaboration or input from the members. Nothing. It was basically once a year, give us your three Bitcoin, move along. And so from that perspective, you know, they failed to engage the most important resource, which was the community that they built. The idea that you have some members who are willing to put down some money once a year and are committed to promoting Bitcoin, that could be an enormously powerful force if you organize them into all pulling in the same direction. And they so tragically failed to leverage that. It's crazy. I mean... (laughs) One of the things, this is still news right now. I don't know when this this show is going live, but I just got like a, a mail from the board that they're going to vote in a new executive director on Monday. The first thing I'm, I'm saying like is, why don't you consult with the members first? Why do they have to find out after the facts that you just voted in a new guy, you know? Now, for this context, is- this was a vote that was supposed to take place about two weeks from now, right? And it's just been pushed up to, we're recording this on a Thursday, so that's four days from now. Right. So on, on Monday, the vote will take place. And obviously, I, I'm just one vote, so I, I have nothing to say about that. But <laughs> Why bother the, voting? Why not just appoint yeah. him, you know? Exactly. <laughs> just well, do it now, you know? It's not like... But it, I think they're supposed to announce front that they're going to do it. I'm not really sure. The thing is, I called for a member meeting on Monday to discuss the future of the foundation. And one hour later, I read this email to the board that they're going to vote a new idea on Monday. So... That's not a coincidence, in my opinion. And that's how it always goes. You know, they're going to push through whatever they want and now they're going to do it again. And they're going to inform the members afterwards. And we just have to accept that. And that's it. I think the organization is going to destroy itself if it continues like this and fails to engage with the members. I always tell them, talk to your members and be transparent, but they just do whatever they want anyways. Obviously, you are not other members of the board, but I'm curious for your impression, given the experiences that you've had so far. This, to me, from the outside, looks like very self-preserving effort, right? They are attempting to find a way to keep the organization going without necessarily being super concerned about what the angle is that lets them achieve that goal. The goal is to keep operating Rather right. than, I mean, they don't is that care what you about get to? having right. the cloak of legitimacy anymore. The priority is survival at a certain point, and it's you know keeping their board position right now, surviving. Uh, they're not going to give that up. I honestly don't know what to do anymore with with this organization. You know, I'm there. Jim will back me up, I guess. But we're two versus four. So what do you do? You can't do anything. And I, I keep telling them to engage with the members. But if you're just going to keep alienating their members more and more, you know, the funds are already pretty much dried up what's going to happen you know you, you can't survive like yeah i guess they can co- go completely volunteer and survive on like hundred dollars a month but do they really have the le- legitimacy left to represent bitcoin or at least to the media still represent bitcoin i think the answer is 100 percent no and i still wonder why they do well they make a convenient punching bag for the media and sometimes for us too they serve a purpose. I mean, they have done that. Again, they've like they've occupied space at a time when the Bitcoin uh, ecosystem did not have a lot of people occupying these spaces. And so, you know, on the one hand, that means the parking space isn't available. But on the other hand, it means that there is the appearance, at least, that there's some coordination going on here and that there's like maybe a, a grand plan or something that, that can be recognizable. If we're ready to move on, I think I want to let's just assume for a second that the foundation, whatever happens isn't something that we're concerned about moving forward. So the foundation, you know, as Andreas was saying, performed real meaningful, you know, services, or at least stood in the place where somebody would be doing that. And I think that those services are still worth providing. We've talked about funding development, that absolutely is a core issue, but the foundation also provided a few other things, or at least in theory, it would have. And I kind of want to talk about if the foundation is no longer a thing, then where do we go next? And what, you know, what, what is the, the path forward as you see it? I'd like to zero in more specifically, Adam, from from that question. Uh, Olivier already mentioned that 
uh, some of the lobbying efforts are are being picked up by other organizations. Now, at this point, we have fairly robust industry and many, many startup companies, many of them well-funded, many large investors with lawyers, with funds, with the ability to project powerful voices who are able to speak, um, speak up and defend Bitcoin in various forms, especially when it comes to legislatures and the media, etc. I think the industry is well represented. However, the average Bitcoin user, the members, the simple people who are not part of a startup, who are not representing the venture capital, who are not representing the investor class, who simply use Bitcoin and are uh, people who enjoy using Bitcoin, who want to build a community, the developers who are interested in developing applications in Bitcoin. It seems to me that they are essentially without a voice, without an association. And I know, you know, Stephanie, you don't like joining any groups, but I'm, I'm a member of a number of groups. For example, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the ACLU, the Association of Pilots and Aircraft Owners. And I find that at least those three organizations represent my interests well and promote my interests well without interfering with my life too much or imposing anything on me. So I would quite like to have something similar in Bitcoin. Where do we go with member associations? You know, where do we go with getting the voice of the average Bitcoin user to get organized in some kind of association? Is, or is that never happened and never will? I honestly agree with Stephanie. If that's her opinion, I don't think we really need one. Yeah, thank you. Okay, I mean, I, that's basically how I feel. Let it take care of itself. It will. If people want that, they will organize into little groups here and there for whatever things they want to promote. Maybe there'll be some people doing efforts for Bitcoin outreach, you know, evangelizing a little bit like we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Maybe there'll be other specific purposes and people can decide if they want to support those organizations or not. I'm not necessarily against joining groups, but I am against uh, supporting governments. And I think the Bitcoin Foundation was from the beginning, a, a political, governmental type of organization, even if it's not explicitly like funded by the state or taxation, it, it has all the markings of it. And so I just wanted nothing to do with it sort of from the beginning. That's fine, because I'm sure they wanted nothing to do with me too. But, <laughs> but like you said, there are other people like me who are just kind of like regular average Joe Bitcoin users. If those kind of people want representation or to pool their influence the market will take care of it or it'll take care of itself. Those groups will be spontaneously forming. So we don't need to worry about how they're going to be formed or, or how those things are going to be accomplished. It'll happen if it... To Olivia's sorry. point, I think that was one of the things that the foundation sucked all the oxygen out of. Because, you know, as you quite rightly say, Stephanie, it was very much a top-down organization that, that imposed its will on its members and really did stink of government. But they did manage to suck out the oxygen from any competing organizations. And mm -hmm. as a result, they, there wasn't room in the market for a user group or member association or any kind of pooling of influence and voices of simple Bitcoin users because of the foundation. Yeah, so. those bastards. <laughs> I don't know if I really agree with that. Maybe the people who would be more interested in grassroots organizations never joined the foundation in the first place or never supported them. Do you feel this way about all groups or is it like just uh, permanent groups? Like, like uh, are ad hoc groups where you have a specific thing that you join together with people who also care about this, that specific thing? You know, there's an organization and there's a structure that lets you organize together and pool your resources. But when the task is done, then it dissolves and it goes away and it doesn't leave this legacy thing. Is the problem the permanency of it? I'm trying to understand... You've also used the word government a few times in describing the Bitcoin Foundation. And, you know, you call it a lot of things, but that definition doesn't work for me. So I'd also be interested in knowing how you define government in this context. The first question, am I opposed to all groups? No, not at all. And in fact, I have some groups that I'm a member of, charities that I support and things like that, uh, uh, causes that I volunteer for. No, I'm absolutely not opposed to all groups. But when the group starts becoming one that's clearly grabbing for power, and one that is operating in such a way as to concentrate power, that's when I start to become really wary of it, especially if it claims to have some kind of authority over me when I never agreed to that. 
that's sort of how I would define something that reeks of government, like Andrea said. And the Bitcoin Foundation definitely fit that definition. Even though I was never a member of it, they did sort of claim to represent me and, you know, sending lobbyists and things like that, which is something I don't support. That's sort of where the line is for me when the group starts grabbing for power and claiming to represent me when I never asked to be represented by them. During the entire period that I was part of the foundation, I got calls and emails on an almost weekly basis from people saying, can you please start a user organization? Can you start an association? Can you start an alternative to the Bitcoin Foundation? Can you organize something? And, you know, I, I never wanted to get involved in, in that kind of activity. I tried to, to form a Bitcoin user group in the very early days to, to be a completely member-driven voluntary organization as decentralized as possible based on local chapters with no centralized control. And I didn't put any further effort into that to make it happen. But I can certainly tell you that from the constant calls by people to do that showed me that there is some demand or some desire out there for people to pool their voices, to join together in some associations. Now, I found that in the meantime, I think the meetups, which I am a huge fan of, have filled that void a great deal by once we had enough density in the community to support local meetups with more than two people, we saw those really explode. And now we have very, very active local meetups, which engage their members and are organized under all kinds of different organizational structures, completely decentralized with no central control. I think that's a really good solution to that issue. But I, I can tell you there was a lot of demand for a long time. The Bitcoin Foundation does feel like an, uh, a government. Uh, I've, I've experienced it myself. For example, the minutes they just released, they were really heavily censored in favor of the foundation. And I asked to uncensor them properly. And in that email, I actually said it does feel like a government because they're trying to release like half-truths and, and, and lies and stuff like that. If you, if you really <laughs> start going that route, you know, that's not healthy anymore. That sounds like you mean a modern government, right? <laughs> or really, mm -hmm. you could substitute any corrupt organization that is more concerned about its self-preservation than it is about serving its charter or meeting the needs of its members. Also, there's, there's a really important missing link there, which is the element of violence. Oliver, the one thing you don't need to worry about is that they're going to send hooded men into the middle of the night in your house to grab you and send you to Camp Vecinis, where you're going to be interrogated. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I did get some threats, but not to that extent. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, they have no organized power of violence. And that's one of the key distinctions from, uh, from government. I did get a threat, like where they said, yeah, we're going to look into all the companies you've been associated with and like does that create any connection or bad uh, reputation whatever you know that that's already pretty far it's sort of like indirectly doing that i think the worst company you've associated yourself with olivier is the bitcoin yeah. foundation yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing they could dig up in your past that would even come close to the track record <laughs> that most of their board has left in their wake <laughs> that's true this is a total emperor has no clothes situation it sounds like you know, and yet it wasn't Jim Harper that released the information. It was you. And I would argue it's because you don't really care what they think of you. Whereas Jim has worked with them in the past and, you know, he's, he's a lawyer. He's going to try and work within the system. I don't think that's no. the case with you. I think you're, you, I mean, this was all about getting results. Yeah, of course. I mean, I just felt compelled to, to do it. And I, I gave them the option to become more transparent. And I don't think it was ethical any longer to keep the information hidden, you know? So Olivia, I, you're a very dangerous man. Yeah, I guess I'm already on the blacklist, so. <laughs> <laughs> the other interesting characteristic of the Bitcoin Foundation as government, it was really institutional failure and institutionalized evil. It was, or it is not, individual board members or specific actors in those. I, I know many of the people who are part of the foundation. You know, despite the fact that the original board that founded it had a lot of baggage, and some of them are, are truly unscrupulous individuals. Some of the current managements and, and board members are really, really trying to do the right thing, but they're trapped in this institutional framework and culture where it's almost impossible to do that. So I, I honestly... Thing. No, I agree. It's like flypaper, you know, you... <laughs> 
you get stuck to the flypaper and you, it ends up sucking you in when you get involved with these organizations some of the people who have basically gotten themselves involved with the foundation with all good intention in the world and and i have a lot of respect for them have ended up being sucked into that organization and and now they have their reputations tarnished and it's and it's tarnished the reputations of some some good people it's very tempting, you know, like they're friendly to you and you get some new friends, you get a good name and then you can go to conferences and speak and, you know, it, it, it goes on like that. But at the same time, you're also hiding the truth from your members. And when you go against them, subtle threats will start. And, and it's, it's, it's very interesting how that works. So I don't yeah. like going against other people. And it's been very hard for me to do this, to be honest, because I'm normally like the kind of guy that likes to get along with everyone but yeah it's what do you do follow your conscience and that's what you did i just think it's funny that it took like less than a month before you had this giant <laughs> I, ethical conflict where you couldn't continue any longer you know? i should i should have done it like on the first day almost problem was that i always thought if i do it now then they're gonna blame me you know that i should have given given them a the chance to correct it on the other hand now that I waited a month, people, like there's now a thread on Reddit saying that Jim proposed a plan where Jim and myself would, would have become executive director of the foundation and that didn't get voted on. And that was my reason to go forward. And that's exactly where, where, when you said you get sucked in more and more and they're going to use everything you did against you. That's, that's exactly what, what happens. You know, the longer you stay in, the more part of it you are. Yeah, bad people do bad things all the time. But for good people to do bad things, it takes an institution. Uh, and Robert's <laughs> rules of order, and right. interminable meetings, and uh, <laughs> and executive directors, and then yeah, it all goes downhill from there. Yeah, yeah. sorry to hear that, Olivier. It's, it sounds like you were in a difficult position. You did the best you could with it. I think until today, they still think they did the right thing. It was and it was the correct way to operate. To you know, wait as long as possible to release the financial truth. Otherwise, the foundation would be in danger. What would the people say? But you're not dealing with a corporation. And even in case of a corporation, you can debate that. But at least they would have some sort of argument. But for a member-driven organization, the first thing you have to do is go to your members and say, like, look, guys, we have like a real financial situation. And if you're still getting funds from your members or corporations that are Bitcoin companies, I always wondered if they actually told them that they only had like one or two months of funding left. Uh, and I highly doubt that. And until today, I never had an answer to that question. What comes next for you as an individual and also for you as a member of the foundation? Where do you think the foundation goes from here? That's what I'm worried about the most. I think the new ED, I know who's probably going to be the guy, but I guess I can't share it yet. You mean um, executive director ED? Yeah. I'm very worried they're going to start doing what they were doing before. And I'm talking about lobbying and, and all the other stuff. I think that's what it looks like. And I don't think they have the, what do you call it, cloud to, to restart it right now. But it's always a risk, you know. They still have this reputation or this name attached to them. I'm in a bind because I, I'm only one guy. And even if Jim would stand by me, it's like two versus four. So my question is like, what do we do now? And I, I would also love to have your opinion on that one, by the way. I think there's a really simple answer. Olivier, if you create the conditions and the structure necessary to meaningfully and sustainably fund core development, and you rob that raison d'etre, that existence justification from the foundation, uh, that will be the end. There will be no further reason to continue to promote or... Um, at the moment, there's the excuse, well, yeah, if we don't exist, no one will build the roads. But if you provide, and I think that's the most effective thing you could do, is is work to create a decentralized, non-trust-based, non-active, non-power-oriented function for funding core development. If you can build that, and we can get some support behind it to actually get core development sustainably funded, then the foundation ceases to exist because it has no reason to exist. I think the, the core development is already out anyway because they can't really pay them anymore. So they're off the payroll and they're gone and they're looking for new solutions now. So that already happened. But they'll still keep saying, we need to do this because nobody else is doing it. So therefore fund us. And that will prolong their existence for a very long time unless there's an alternative that actually is shown to work. 
Okay. Well, I think they they still want to continue the actual core dev uh, meetings or dev core meetings. I don't know if they still have the the reputation to do that now. Um, but afterwards, yeah, I guess you're right. So they're looking for alternatives right now, right? So they they know core dev is not going to work anymore. So they're looking for new things to do, and I think they want to go back in the direction of um potentially going to lobbying or something similar. Have they said things to indicate that, or is this just kind of your impression? Patrick's proposal, like, um, there, there are some things which have, have been discussed and now that he wants to propose. Nothing has been approved, by the way, because they did claim so in the press release, but that's not, not true, which is backed up by the minutes, by the way. There was only a vote on, like, firing staff. Besides that, nothing has been approved, but I guess the new ED is going to decide the direction again, which is something I don't really understand. I always told them, why don't you go to your members, uh, discuss with them the options, and have their input and then decide the direction you want to go in. What they do instead is they just sit back, uh, give all the responsibility to the executive director, and they don't get involved, really. I don't think that's healthy at all. Definitely not to have your executive director decide the direction and the vision of your foundation. They should just do it for cover-your-ass value. You know, they should like go, oh, I don't yeah. screw things up. I asked the members, they said we should go in this direction. Even for that reason, they should at least recognize the value oh, okay, of going to the members. <laughs> Even that. Right. Well, I think they think like the, the less they say and, and the more they let it up to the ED, the, the better it is. I don't know. I don't know. Here in the US, ED means erectile dysfunction, and I think that's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. They always, they always call it ED. You mentioned that it's, you know, you and Jim against the other four members. Um, do you think that that's an intractable situation? I mean, given that there are real problems here within the organization, given that the organization appears to be suffering, you know, worse than it has really at any point in its past in terms of public perception, ability to fund itself, et cetera, um, and mission too, doesn't it seem like you could, you know, like peel a couple of people off from that or are, is everybody just completely stuck in the way that things are? What do you mean with peeling them off? I mean, um, if it's four on two, why can't you talk to one of the member, one of the other board members privately and say, hey, you know, I think you're on the wrong side of this. You should switch your vote, how you're going to vote on this stuff. Or, or you know, I'm going to put this out. You should vote with us because even though, you know, we're you know saying we should change this, this is a change that's really required. So I'm just saying, like, I'm asking, is the political situation, in your view, intractable? Or is there is there the potential to work with other board members and have them actually see the light come around and change, you know, their their uh, vote. With everything that happened, I think there might be some changes that I could get through right now. Hopefully, more transparency. Um, but I'm not sure. Yeah, the question still is: they are going to do what they what they want to do, and I think that is continuing to try to get more power and then sustain the foundation in that way from a power position instead of just becoming like a positive member organization. And I'm talking about like what I proposed before, like creating a map of all the stores in the United States and going store to store, stuff like that, or creating a mass change keep event that's really very positive for the community. Maybe I can get that through, but it will be in combination with the demands of all the other members. And the majority of those members are looking more for political power type of things. So I don't really know. I'm sort of in a bind right now if, if I should support that because if I help the reputation of the foundation become positive again, but it's, it's attached to in the back with some power things, then I don't know if I, if I can do that. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Olivier, you're one of the most interesting guys in cryptocurrency. You've been in it for an incredibly long time. You were an early miner. And really, again, like you, you've been an omnipresent fixture in the space. And recently, you've become very entrepreneurial as well investing in multiple companies and really you have a very interesting overview of the ecosystem. What's the greatest opportunity that if you know you had all the time in the world you would be focusing on? Well, I think the, the biggest opportunity right now is to basically do what I propose for the Bitcoin Foundation that's creating mass adoption. That's what's still missing and, and I think we can it's a challenge, but we can do that together with the community. So I would suggest this store-to-store thing where we create a map and a list of all stores in the United States and also in other countries eventually and like make it a goal to go to every store, introduce them to Bitcoin and like a, a guy coming in, explaining to you in person with passion what Bitcoin is and how it can help. That would be great. And the second thing would be to create a mass change tip events where we have like um, 
people donating to the whole street or, or something similar or to all their friends on Facebook. And then those friends would donate Bitcoin to all their friends. And I think that way we can virally create a mass Bitcoin adoption. That's the two most important things, in my opinion, because after that, it's going to be very difficult for governments or <laughs> bad foundations to sort of try to stop that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. This episode was sponsored by the LTB Companion Multitoken Wallet. It's counter-wallet compatible, free like speech and like beer, and available now at letstalkbitcoin.com. Content for today's episode was provided by Olivier, Stephanie, Andreas, and Adam. Music for this episode was provided by Jared Rubens and General Fuzz. This episode was edited by Adam Mulevine. Any questions or comments? Email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. Have a good one.